Today on the show, we'll be talking about the recent movie Sound of Metal, starring Riz Ahmed. We'll also be discussing our thoughts on the movie, the reception of it by the deaf community, and the topic of cochlear implants. This is Doctor versus Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be discussing the movie Sound of Metal, directed by Darius Martyr. We'll start with our thoughts on the movie, and later on, we'll talk about the issue of cochlear implants. Before we get to that, Ali... I want to talk to you about something I saw the other day on something you may have heard about, the internet. Mm-hmm. Familiar. It's uh, actually on one of my favorite websites that I visit every day, theavclub.com. Uh, you probably know it's spinoff of The Onion, and they talk about pop culture, you know, which we love talking about. So they had a really interesting question on there. They have what's called an AV Q&A, where readers will send in some ideas for questions they want to ask the staff writers, and the staff writers kind of give their opinion. So I thought we should do this Q&A with their question. So the question is, what two pieces of unrelated pop culture are for ever connected in your mind. So I want you to think about that. And I'm going to give you my example so it can kind of help you. And if our listeners want to send us their examples of two pieces of unrelated pop culture that are linked in their mind, that would be great. Send it to us at drvcomedian at gmail.com or connect with us on Twitter or Instagram. Okay. So my example for you is it actually occurred when I was on paternity leave with my first daughter. I took three months off and my wife went back to work. So I, I was taking care of my daughter every day. And those of you who've taken care of children know she was about eight or nine months at the time. It's tough, you know, and, and again, I, my total sympathy to parents who stay at home, both men and women, it's definitely a lot of work. And you realize this when you're the sole caregiver and your uh, partner's at work. So when you have a little baby, you have a couple options of things to do during the day. You can either when they're nap. having when they're having a nap, you can have a nap, you can exercise, you can eat something, you can watch TV or something like that. But you can't do all those things. You have to pick, and then you'll just if you don't get the shower today, do it tomorrow. That's okay. <laughs> I like the combination of uh, they sit in front of the TV and you nap while they're engrossed by something. Oh, yeah, that, that's that's your that's your strategy. Well, I've never been accused of being a wonderful parent, but I know that there's a few times we try to keep them off the devices, but there's sometimes where just for your own sanity, come yeah, on. Yeah, you have to do that. So what I would do when I would have a break is I would do two things when my daughter was having a nap, just for my own sake. And one of them was to listen to an album, which I had just downloaded, which is the 59 Sound by the Gaslight Anthem, which is one of my favorite bands currently. It's, I think, the best American band that's out there right now. They're a bit on a bit of a hiatus right now, but I love that band. That album is amazing. And I would also, I was getting back into thinking about old video games that I played as a kid. So I bought a CD-ROM back when people would play video games on CD-ROMs, and I played Dragon's Lair. Do you remember Dragon's Lair, Ali, when we were growing up? I don't. And I'm happy to say I don't. I lived okay. a full life as a young person. Dude, I can't believe you don't remember this. <laughs> Dragon's Lair was it was a it was an arcade game, but it was like a cartoon. 
You know, you played a knight and you would move the joystick and it would move to a different scene in the cartoon. So it was like you were playing a live action cartoon. That and, does ring a bell. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen it. And and so I bought that and I played that. So the two things that are linked to me are the Gaslight Anthems 59 Sound and the video game Dragon's Lair. So what about you? Well, okay. And just to be clear, were you doing both those things while your child was eating poison in the corner of the, the kitchen somewhere? Or was, was this during nap time? She was too young to crawl. So don't worry about that. But it was okay, during nap right. time. Well, this is the one thing that comes to mind. And I think we probably all have a dozen of these things if we think about them. But this is something that comes to mind for sure for me. When I was a kid, my Saturdays were WWF wrestling. The F was there, present at the time, followed immediately by like two hours of PBS cooking shows. So in my life, wrestling and cooking shows somehow have become a pair. And also the third thing was my mother's yelling from upstairs. I had a mother who didn't enjoy it when I was having a good time, still doesn't. So there was a lot, come up and eat, you've wasted half your day. That somehow I've been able to take out of my mind. But I used to, you know, still when I watch wrestling, I think about, you know, Jacques Pepin or Ming size East meets West or whatever. You know, there's always all these, you know, Julia Child. And so we went to a wrestling event, you and I. I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember how much food I continuously <laughs> bought. I think there's, you remember that? I was like, yeah, anything. it's true. It's true. It you was did. an obscene amount of. Like I really, we, I must've set a record internally. Like people get a couple of drinks and popcorn, but I was also looking for like, you know, nachos, hot dogs, anything sort I of, I think you, you know, set a record gourmet. at the, uh, Air Canada center in Toronto, actually. What do you mean? That's a record like they never for- sold, They never sold that much food to one person before. I know, to one, exactly. Exactly. And I went back three times. So anyway, and I think that that's because I associate wrestling with food. I don't know. I'd, uh, I'd be happy to sit in a chair and have a- psychotherapist break that down or i could just live the rest of my life in peace loving wrestling and food and scene Okay, Ali, so let's move on to our topic that we're going to talk about today, which is the movie Sound of Metal, directed by Darius Martyr, starring Riz Ahmed. And I guess I want to talk to you a bit about what you think about the movie and your overall thoughts. And yeah, maybe we'll start off with a bit of background for people who haven't seen the movie. Sure. And we should tell people that there's going to be a spoiler in this. If you haven't seen The Sound of Metal, you can put this on pause and give this movie your time. You know, I think it really deserves it. I think it's well done and well acted. So I'll start by saying these two things. Number one, my sister wears hearing aids. She has, uh, since she was a child warn them she's hearing impaired she's part of the deaf community she doesn't uh, know sign language which is a huge part of this film but i do have sort of this peripheral interest in in uh, hearing impairment as a thing you know i don't think many other people spent parts of their youth going to visit the you know in, in my case it was the montreal oral school for the deaf i don't think that's a common thing you know but th that is part of my life and 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 remembering her diagnosis and what that has meant for her over her life and knowing kind of the the peace and the the tranquility she gets by taking her hearing aids off and just shutting out the world, that's something that many people won't know. And this movie sort of dives into that a little bit too. So I have that level of interest in this film. But besides that, I also have 
an enormous level of respect and admiration for Riz Ahmed. Now, Riz Ahmed is Muslim and he is Pakistani. So I know the sort of barriers that are against uh, up against somebody from that background being a lead or a supporting lead in a movie. So I have a lot of respect for who he is and what he's become as an actor. And not only that, but the level of preparation this guy does. You know, many different ding-dongs can be actors, Asif. I don't need to tell you that. But I'm talking... I'm just looking movie. at you right now. So I know. I don't, yeah, where else would you look? This guy spent seven months learning ASL. ASL, by the way, American Sign Language, sort of the standard here for, for, for sign language. He spent six months learning how to drum so he could be that the drummer, so he could become this character. And many people... Even some in the deaf community, you know, I've read all these reviews, they are reluctant to give him his due because they wish it was played, the, the lead role was played by a deaf actor, and yet they still give him his due because, in a way, he came in as an outsider as Riz Ahmed, but also the character in this film is very much an outs outsider who, I guess, in his late 20s or 30s, whatever age he is, this character Ruben all of a sudden finds himself faced with this intense and almost complete hearing loss. So he does a phenomenal job, and it really was a, a, an amazing movie. And Asif, you had talked, when we were talking about the Oscars, you had talked about the fact that they were nominated for um, sound. And we don't often talk about that. These are sometimes the forgotten categories, but you will notice that when you see this movie. And if you have already, like... It messes with you, right? It really, it's an auditory experience to go through what he was going through. And it is very much part of this movie. So I'm a big fan of this film, and not just because it's Riz and because of my own connection with my sister, but I thought it was an actor who did an incredible job with a very good script. And, and this director as well, Darius, I like a, a lot of his other work or the two films that I've seen before of his, I'm, I'm a fan. So I liked it. And you could talk a little bit about, about this plot a little bit more deeply and what you, uh, what yeah. you think about it. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I, I liked it a lot as well. I guess in the movie, as you said, he plays this drummer, it's called Sound of Metal. They're not really a metal band. I think they're more of a hardcore punk slash metal band. And it's, okay. it, it's, it's, it's cool him and, and his girlfriend played by Olivia Cook. And as you said, he, he experiences very rapid, sudden hearing loss at the movie. And again, apologies for spoilers. I think most people know that's what happens in this movie. And then they're looking around for what to do. And he encounters... And they basically get referred to this deaf community where they teach people who are also recovering addicts and they kind of integrate people into this deaf community and they feel the leader of the community feels that he could benefit Riz Ahmed's character. And so it's it's that kind of coming in as an outsider for that movie. And, and you're right, a lot of deaf writers, the one I'm thinking of is Sarah Novick, who's a great writer. Uh, I think we'll talk about some of her perspectives a bit more. And so she was commenting on the movie and saying, would we like to see a deaf actor in the movie? Yes, but this movie isn't really about a deaf person. It's about a hearing person who becomes hearing impaired and deaf. And that's very different. And because when we're talking about deaf people, often we're, the deaf community often uses a capital D, right? A capital D meaning the community of deaf people. And so she's like, this is the journey of somebody going forward and seeing if it, how they can integrate themselves. And, and a lot of it is, what I loved about this movie is, uh, and Riz Ahmed has talked about this on several interviews, is it talks about who you are and what we are as people, 
right? And for the character of Ruben in the movie, he was a boyfriend, a recovering addict, and a metal or hardcore drummer. That was his- Yeah, that's right. And the boyfriend part is it is an important part of his identity because as a recovering heroin addict, he has found somebody else who also- I don't know if it was mentioned, but she also suffers, you know, she, she's recovering, she's in recovery from something. And so he's sort of committed to her in a, in a very beautiful way. I mean, he, you see him making those smoothies for her in the morning and getting her up and being a supportive person. And when it's time for him to, to, go, to go into that treatment alone, away from her, you, you see he's basically having another thing almost, almost at the same level as his hearing being ripped away from him with with respect to her absence. So the boyfriend is not just, it's not just your average run-of-the-mill boy, boyfriend. It is a recovering addict who finds his path to recovery in her and in his devotion to her. And it's a, it's a big part of it. Yeah. Riz Ahmed was interviewed uh, by uh, a couple places, NPR and Fresh Air Experience. He was interviewed by the AV Club, which we talked about before. And in it, he compares what's going on with his character to what's going on with people in the pandemic. At first, you're like, well, what are you talking about? Nobody's experienced hearing loss because of the pandemic. But his point is, I'm a guy who I go to the gym and I go to the bar on the weekend with my friends and or you're, you know, you're I'm a teacher, but now it's online school and and how all those things affect you because you're not the same person you were a year ago. I read an article which I thought was really frivolous. It was about you can't travel. You're a traveler. You travel the world and you can't travel now. How do you cope with this? And I'm like, come well, on. Yeah, exactly. Well. <laughs> oh, talk about first world problems. But there are a lot of people who define themselves like, yes, I save up all my money. I go sure, backpacking. Sure. I you volunteer. Here in other countries, I do all this stuff. And they, what happens when that's taken away? That's why a lot of people are having this depression and frustration and angst during the pandemic is because I, who am I? And how can I be these what I am when these things have been taken away from me? And that's why this movie, I think, resonates with so many people at this particular time. Because we're not, the average person is not going through hearing loss, but they're going through, I thought I knew who I was, and that's all been taken away. Right. What I is the way loss. forward? And that's, in fact, the journey that uh, Ruben goes on in this movie. Right. And I want to make a final point about ASL, which I thought was very interesting, because you mentioned that interview with N NPR. And... Uh, shout out to uh, Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air on NPR. Mm -hmm. I've listened to that. You know, I grew up in Montreal and we got Vermont Public Radio from mm -hmm. across the border. So I grew up, I just always happened to be in the car between four and six. And I would often, often catch... Uh, Terry Gross. So when she passes, a part of me will die as well. This woman has helped raise me. But anyway, she her interview with Riz, I encourage everyone to, because it's not just about the movie, it's about more about Riz's experience in, in the film industry and a number of different things. Very, very fascinating. And he's very eloquent and well-spoken. But one thing I loved, he was talking about ASL. And I think this is something people who are not familiar with sign language should connect to and and, and try to take away from this film, that when you communicate with ASL, he said you're communicating with your entire body and you are inhabiting, you're very much inhabiting what you're communicating and you're not hiding behind words. This is a common a trope that the deaf community has for the hearing community that they hide behind their words. And I thought that was so interesting. And I think it speaks to my love for stand-up comedy and for performance in general, especially those performances where you use both words to their fullest and you use your body 
to its fullest. And of course, not everybody does that in, in stand-up comedy. You know, you have like, you know, Stephen Wright and Mitch Hedberg are these kings of, of comedy, stand-up comedy, who just sort of stood at a mic and didn't move for an hour of their show. But in that itself, in that rigidity of their body, they know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. So even a head cock to the side or a complete silence and and abrupt stop after they say something, even that is really a use of your body in a way. So I thought that was very, very interesting. And, you know, when you come from a community that is very people who talk with their hands, you know, many uh, Southern European communities, my buddies who are Italian and Pakistanis, Punjabis, there's a lot of talking with their hands. I really love that idea of inhabiting the way you communicate and inhabiting your communication. Well, that's really interesting you say that because it makes me think, you know, you talk about the body and how we use that for communication, but the flip side almost happens in this movie at the beginning, right? And there are some great interviews with Nicholas Becker, who's the sound designer. Again, I cannot speak more, as you mentioned, about the sound design in this movie. It is so good. So uh, what they did was they, Nicholas Becker, uh, along with the director and the film editor, they went into like sensory deprivation tanks where you cannot hear anything. And then, so when you go in one of these tanks, apparently, I've never been in one, but you first hear nothing and then you hear your body. You can hear your heart beating. You can hear, you can hear the tendons move in your body because you're not used to this level of silence. And that's what they wanted to get from Riz Ahmed's character. So when he first loses his hearing in, in the movie, the sound drops out and then they put in these sounds. They mic'd, put a mic up to his heartbeat, uh, to his heart. They put a mic to sense, super sensitive mics to get his tendons moving when he's trying to continue with the, with the drumming, but he doesn't hear that. He only hears the sounds of his own body. And just to, for them to think about that and to just try and be so in the moment with that is really amazing. And it's, it's the opposite, right? It's, it's, it's internalizing everything as opposed to the externalizing that you were talking about. Sure. And uh, I will add to that if you're going to watch this on a laptop, if you're going to watch this on some personal device, this is a headphone movie. Do yourself that favor and have it have it have that intimate listening experience on your headphones. So we've talked at length about our love for this movie. Now it's uh, I'm going to talk to you, Asif, about some things that I bumped up against here, and you tell me if I should have bumped up against them or not. I'll get to these two things in time. Let me start with the first one. And as you sort of talk about a little bit about more about the movie, we'll talk about it. What we are going to talk about is the medical element of this film, which is the cochlear implants. But before we get to the implants, Asif, you spoke about this. He experiences rapid, sudden hearing loss. Is that a thing? Is that a real thing? Because my feeling is with hearing loss, I've only seen it as gradual with the exception of people like my sister who were born with hearing impairment. So that rapid sudden loss, is that a real phenomenon? Does that exist in the world? It is. And it, there's different sort of causes. Sometimes you can get a very acute or rapid hearing loss with something called Meniere's disease that's usually associated with what we call tinnitus. Some people call it tinnitus, but those are... <laughs> people who I disrespect, it's, I call it tinnitus, and some vertigo as well. And you can have recurrent episodes of that. And sometimes that hearing loss can be permanent when you have those episodes. And we used to think that hearing loss was more gradual, but there definitely is a lot of uh, evidence for patients who have 
this very rapid hearing loss. So they don't address this in the movie. We assume that when he sees the doctor and, and sees the audiologist and, and things like that, that this would have been looked into. But there's a, a very rapid hearing loss that can occur, which is kind of an autoimmune phenomenon. So the body kind of attacking itself. And the thought is if you treat those patients rapidly with an anti-inflammatory medication like a corticosteroid, so not steroids for your, your bodybuilding that you've been doing, Ali, but I mean cortico, not anabolic steroids, but corticosteroids, then that can help. So anybody ever has rapid onset hearing loss, you need to see a doctor immediately because if you don't treat it immediately, then it could be lasting. You need to treat it within a few days of the onset. So it can occur. And I'm just going to assume in the movie that that was looked into and that wasn't the cause. Sure, sure. There is some reference to autoimmune disease. The doctor does say that at one point. Also, in my defense, I do use the other steroids because uh, my eczema sometimes requires corticosteroids. More information than anybody needs. Anyway, <laughs> I'm glad you, you did mention that because in my mind, because he's a drummer, it would be slow, right? So I bumped up against that idea. I'm like a drummer. Wouldn't it be over time and 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 metal and loud music and slowly your your uh, uh, your hearing would go? But it's good to know that that's based in reality, and I'm sure it is. Otherwise, a lot of people would have jumped on it right away. Now let's talk about these cochlear implants. I had never heard of them before. I didn't know they were an option. They are very controversial, and I think that's something you can talk about. But my biggest thing that I bumped up against was Ruben, Riz Ahmed's character, gets these cochlear implants and then finds out how they work. Is that even possible, or, or would you have this entire... Because the suggestion is he's just an impatient person. He is like, let's get this fixed and I got to get back on the road. I got to play my music. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it, do it, do it. How much is it? Yeah, fine. Do it, do it, do it, do it. He is that person as a, as a character. But is that realistic? Is that possible that that could happen without him knowing what the real world of cochlear implants would mean for him? Right. So a, a couple of things with that. To answer that question specifically, I find it very hard to believe that nobody would, people would put these in without telling him about all the different steps involved and what's involved. And we'll get into that in a second. But it kind of brings up something that actually does happen in medicine. I'll see a patient spend, you know, my appointments are very long for a new patient, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour that I spend talking to the family, explain everything. And then you hear the next day they're talking to one of their friends or they're talking to another doctor and they're like, yeah, they didn't tell me anything. I spent 45 minutes with you. I we, we definitely talked about this. I have it clearly documented. We talked about this. So sometimes people don't hear even when they're listening. Very interesting turn of phrase I'm using for this. Uh, right, podcast. right. Well, I've been I've been through this where somebody says like at a comedy show, like, oh yeah, I I'd heard most of the comedy before, and I'm like, I literally did two jokes that were old and the rest was all brand new material over 40 minutes. Hey, we're not so different. You and I, hey, Asif, I also do like 45 minutes. So you talk about actual life changing things, but uh, you know, I, I got glorified fart jokes. Anyway, the point is I go through that too. I think it's a human phenomenon where people want to seem like they know more than they do or something. But again, that, that's an aside and that wasn't portrayed in the movie. So, let, But let's, let's go to your question about these cochlear implants. So w let's back up and just talk about what they are. So there's, these are these sound processors that Essentially, they fit behind your ear and the processor will capture signals and send them to a receiver, which is implanted under your skin behind the ear. So we saw that in, in the movie. And this will send electrodes 
that are implanted in the inner ear, uh, which is the cochlea, and which is the area that will normally is where we receive sound. The sound gets transmitted essentially into your brain. So it bypasses a defective cochlea. So first of all, it doesn't replace certain kinds of problems. There's something called conductive hearing loss, which is not a nerve-related hearing loss. It won't help that. It won't help if if the nerves that come from your ear that go into your brain, or if there's a problem in your brain that is a problem with with the with the processing of auditory information. So it, it has to be for what we call sensory neural hearing loss, and. The issue with a cochlear implant is it doesn't come preloaded like your new laptop. It doesn't come preloaded with language information. The user has to spend a lot of time in uh, speech language, auditory verbal training to understand the sound and, it, and how speech works. Is it like a year? Like we're talking about years, oh. years, years, not not a year. Okay. And now it's it's different. Ruben is a is a unique case because he could hear and then he's lost his hearing. So it may be a, a modified uh, training program. But if we're talking about children who's who have never heard, who are now hearing, or who were very young when they lost their hearing, so some people, a lot of uh, people are born with this type of hearing loss. It's often genetic, not always. And other times they can get acquired. The most probably probably the most common reason for acquired hearing loss is meningitis. It could often affect the ears. So worldwide, that's probably the most common. So this goes to your point though before. Hearing impairment is not a surgical problem. It's not like your appendix is inflamed. Take out the appendix, you're fine, right? There's a surgical approach that in cochlear implant surgeon can do. But really, you need to prepare people beforehand because they've seen studies on patient and parent satisfaction after the surgery is clearly related to their expectations of what it's going to do. And everyone needs counseling before and afterwards because it's it's this life-changing thing. So that was not really explained, I would say, terribly well in the in the movie. Right. And, and so I sort of went on as a person who didn't know about cochlear implants and who was watching this movie for the first time, I kind of went on Ruben's journey with Ruben. I was like, oh, he's getting his uh, hearing back. And in fact, that's not exactly, it's not accurate to say that. Exactly. And so, well, a couple of things. First of all, the other issue with this movie is they talk about it not being funded, right? He had to come up with the money on his own. And, you know, in Canada, it would be funded completely. In the US, from my understanding, from reading a lot of news articles and blog posts, it would be covered. It would be very unusual for someone to not have this covered due to the Affordable Health Care Act and Medicare and Medicaid. So that was my understanding. Another reason why the sound designers are amazing in this movie is because apparently when they turn on his cochlear implants, that is exactly what people hear when they turn on the cochlear implants. And you'll see when you see this movie, if you haven't seen it yet, hopefully you have, because we've just spoiled the ending for you, but <laughs> it's this feedback so static. It is, okay. it is, and you can just see the excruciatingness of, of hearing. And that's apparently people who've had cochlear implants say, yes, that is exactly what it sounds like. And how the sound designer on this movie, who is not deaf, who has not had cochlear implants, was able to capture that is amazing because you're capturing what somebody hears inside their head. You know, it, it's, it's amazing. So there's a lot of videos online about babies' faces lighting up when they're hearing sound for the first time, when they've had cochlear implants, and there's some adults who uh, cry, you know, you can just sure. Google this and you'll find a bunch of things on YouTube. So, But that is where the controversy lies, right? right? Yeah, exactly. So there's 
some really good articles about this issue of do you need to do that? Do you need to to treat people who are hearing impaired and deaf? And are cochlear implants the answer? There's a good article which I'll we'll link to uh, from the Insider, which which basically goes through a couple of like real people who didn't understand that the surgery is not a cure again like we talked about and all this time and that needs to be spent afterwards is only one piece of the puzzle and people talk about how their expectations were were incorrect and and the process is very physically and mentally taxing it takes a lot of practice to use and some people either as adults who got them said forget it i'm not doing it or there are some children who had it and there's one story in this insider article of a person who basically just said, you know, when they turned 18, they're like, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. I'd rather just do sign language and be part of the deaf community. And this is the bigger issue, I think. There's this concept of autism. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of this. This is like, it's like sexism, you know, you know, discriminating people because of their gender, discriminating people because of hearing impairment. And the hearing people assume that all deaf people would naturally want to take advantage of a method that could have them become part of the hearing world. And there's a really good article in The Atlantic from several years ago by Allegra Ringo, Ringo, and where she talks about this. So basically, you know, cochlear implants are such an advanced technology, but not all deaf people want to hear. American Sign Language is a cultural cornerstone for these people. And... There's a disagreement, I guess, between hearing people and non-hearing people. One group sees deafness as a disability and the other sees it as a culture. But the issue, which a lot of people will say is one group holds a lot of power in this world, which is obviously the hearing world, uh, hearing people. And so that's why is deafness something that needs to be fixed? And there's a lot of really interesting things. I mentioned Sarah Novick before. She has written a couple articles, again, which I'll link to one from the New York Times, uh, and then another one that came out after Sound of Metal, where she talks about this. And there's a lot of uh, discussion as well. Should children with cochlear implants learn sign language as well at the same time? So they have multiple methods of communication, or should they not? What does the scientific literature show? So there's lots of discussion about that. But you can think about it, the deaf community and sign language, that is part of their identity. And there is a real worry that that may be taken away. And it's different. If it's hearing parents who have a hearing impaired child, that's one thing. But what about deaf parents who may have a deaf child? Because maybe it's genetic or something like that. And the decision-making process may be different for these different people. Well, I found this entire thing very interesting because, you know, growing up with my sister, being hearing impaired and it just there that's that's the interesting part i was trained not to say deaf it was hearing impairment right that that was the thing and to hear you know now it's deaf community and there's pride in the community and it's like there's something we're able to do and feel and experience that other people can't experience that pride was something i don't know it was very exciting for me to see i really enjoyed seeing that and and you mentioned sarah saranovich and i also wanted to talk about those those micro, you know, she's talking aggression. about microaggressions. Yeah, yeah, talk about those. Very so we, because Asif and I, I, if I can speak for you for a sec, we go through that sometimes where somebody goes, "Oh, you're from India, you're from Pakistan. I love samosas." It's like you know what? 
don't reduce me to a samosa or worse, like, oh, I really like hummus, you know, which is like ignorance on top of a microaggression. So I just want to mention these because these are, look, we well-meaning people do stuff like this. So Sarah Novich is uh, hearing impaired herself and she says like the, this, she calls it the triad of microaggression. So one is this incredulity at uh, deaf independence, like where people would be like, oh, you can drive, you know, that kind of thing. So you know, some people are just saying that of a place of conversation, but I think it's worthwhile for, for free people to understand that you're immediately treating it like a debilitating handicap when you say things like that. The other one is a comparison to an animal. Oh, my cousin has a deaf dog, which is the, oh, I love hummus sort of uh, equivalent. Like that, it's so you're bringing up a different species and you're reducing me to something that I'm not, and you're not connecting with me when you do that. And then the final one is something that I can picture many people doing. I can picture myself doing something like this, and it's not intentional, and yet the, you got to consider the way this comes across, which is the intimation that death is preferable to de deafness, where people say things like, oh my God, you're deaf. I would just die without music. Understand for a second how that would sound to somebody who is unable to hear music. What does that do for them? It does nothing. It's just you hearing the sound of your own voice, basically. So I really thought that those were worth mentioning. And also about, you know, this pride that the the deaf community takes in 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 this sort of superpower that I think they feel that they have. And, and you see it in this movie in such a, a beautiful way. Please forward 15 seconds uh, what I'm going to say if you have not seen the movie. At the end of the movie, when... Riz Ahmed, after going through hell to get these implants, being sort of excommunicated from the deaf community, struggling with the... He takes them out and he finally sees what Paul Racy was talking about, the actor uh, Paul Racy, uh, which was this this joy and this peace in the tranquility, in the in the kingdom, that what does he call it? Like the salvation, he calls it, that the kingdom of God, right? That moment where you can experience absolute silence. And he experiences it for himself. And I think that's a great moment for viewers to be like, oh, God, that would kind of be incredible from time to time, especially some of us who live in these urban, you know, noise polluted centers. You know, you're running off to the cottage just to get some peace and quiet. I know some, you know, some some people. I think it's it's also more Ruben understanding at the end that. There is more than just this hearing oh, world. Absolutely. You know? I mean, that's what it is about. Yeah, that is yeah, at its core yeah. what it's about. I'm just saying as a viewer, it's a moment to understand and appreciate that. Right. And maybe to look at things from a different point of view. Now, one thing that Sarah Novik, and I keep saying Novik, but it's probably Novich. I, I apologize to her for that. She emphasizes in, in one of her articles, I think in the New York Times, where she was saying that most deaf people actually use m multiple methods of communication and technological support. They don't just use sign language. They don't just use cochlear implants. They don't just use hearing aids. They probably use a combination. And so for her, her opinion- Mouth uh, uh, lip reading <laughs> Lip well. reading, yes, exactly. Yeah. And so for her, she thought that the ending of the movie, which is not the very end, but kind of the denouement, where he is- Again, it's a spoiler, but Ruben is basically kicked out of the community he was in because he chose to get cochlear implants. Sarah's point is it's not a this or that, right? There are certainly people who can be part of the deaf community who have cochlear implants. And I think she thought that that rang relatively false. And you don't want to have 
the deaf community exclude children, for example, who are have cochlear implants. You want to be inclusive. And I guess her final take on the movie is, as we said before, it's not a movie about people who are deaf. It's about a person who is hearing, who is trying to find his place between these two worlds. And her point is, it's not made for her because that's not her lived experience. But there are people in Ruben's situation who've been there, and that's who the movie's for. But again, we've talked about how a lot of these themes really resonate with us in our daily lives. Well, that's our show for today. Before we go, Ali, anything to plug? Yeah, I'm going to plug our listeners. We're, we're getting some. There's, there's, there's a few thousand of you out there, and we really appreciate you uh, uh, engaging with us and listening to us and, and giving us those five-star ratings. Those really help help us uh, sort of these, climb these various charts. So if you have a suggestion for a show that uh, you'd like to hear, a theme you'd like to hear, something in the medical community that you don't fully understand or something that you really do understand that you wish other people did, or similarly in comedy and entertainment, reach out. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, an, an email. It's all Dr. V Comedian. The email is gmail.com. Or you can reach out. You can check out our website, Dr. Versus Comedian. I know that's weird. The V and the verses, that is because of a text limit on Twitter and Instagram. So uh, don't think we're lunatics. We're not trying to make your life hard. That's just the way it had to be. Not trying to be confusing on purpose. And just before we finish off, please remember that although I'm a doctor, Ali isn't, I'm (laughs) I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only. They're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. See ya. See ya.